Jesus, we gather in your name. And we say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit, to this place. We pray that you would have your will be done in this place. Lord Jesus, that you would be honored and glorified as you receive the offerings of our voices and our time and our attention. Father, would you be glorified, glorify yourself in our midst this morning. And as we open up the scriptures, Lord Jesus, a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, pointing to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can gather together like this. Thank you for those who are here in attendance in person and those who are choosing to be with us right now where they are as well. We commit this to you, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, this is uh, my nod to the Calgary Stampede. Uh, uh, this is a contextual thing, right? If I was wearing this in some other place, you'd be saying, oh, you're not supposed to wear, the men aren't supposed to wear hats in church, and yada, yada. But uh, I thought today being the, the final day of uh, Stampede, I would, this is the extent of my white cowboy hat. Um, it actually, um, it's, uh, actually, it's from Ecuador. Uh, a friend of mine um, has a, a ministry there, and this is, I understand these are handmade uh, from Ecuador, so it has special meaning for me. But I thought uh, today, uh, Kimberly and I were looking at some of our hats, and I saw this one and went, you know what, why not uh, wear that today uh, as part of our final uh, stampede day. And we actually, Kimberly and I, uh, since moving here, uh, she was, Kimberly, my wife, was pretty excited about going to the stampede. In fact, um, we drove to the place several times uh, in May and in June uh, just to have a look around and, and to see how close I could get without getting in trouble. Um, and so we took a look around and then we had a chance to go a couple of times, once to see some of the rodeo in the afternoon and then uh, once in the evening for the evening uh, show. My goodness, um, we have discovered that you all like um, fireworks. Um, <laughs> Actually, I said to Kimberly, I think it's gunpowder, but anyway, that's another uh, story. But we were so, it was so fun to actually sit so close and have the fireworks like right there. Um, usually like uh, at, at the beginning of July, we were sitting, I don't know where, when those fireworks were like another part of town. So this was really amazing. Uh, I want to make one uh, clarification. Uh, last week uh, in the sermon, uh, Eat, Pray, Love. And we talked about God's design and His purpose for us. And that was the word in some translations is welfare or, or prosperity. The Hebrew word is shalom. And that word shalom, peace, really encompasses a lot. It encompasses all of that. But one of the clarifications I wanted to make was that, um, you know, when we talked about uh, being fruitful and multiplying and, and et cetera, giving your sons and daughters in marriage... God's purpose and design isn't about marriage. It isn't about being married or about having children. That is good, but it isn't the only part of God's design. His design and purpose is for shalom. 
And so we want to recognize and identify that there are people who are single. And that being single is a high calling. And we read in the New Testament, there are many people who were single. And uh, celibacy is a high calling. And we also want to recognize that there are people that are married that do not have children. And so one of the things, I just wanted to bring that clarification because it can sometimes happen that in church we can accidentally convey the message that the ultimate is to be married and have children when that is not the case. Okay, that's wonderful, but we also really value people that are single. We value couples, and regardless of whether they have children or not, that's important clarification I wanted to make. Well, this business of uh, uh, returning uh, the message, you know, with the stampede was kind of returned to stampede or uh, with some of the sporting events. Uh, I've been seeing people, uh, young people and adults on baseball diamonds and there's this return to play and there's return to work. Some of you are sorting out now what work is going to look like, returning to work either in person or uh, some kind of combination. And uh, parents or guardians of children are wondering about returning to school. And there's this whole return or restore vibe that we are in in this current time. Uh, and that is because this pandemic has really caused us, thrust us into what I was describing last week as being in exile, of being uh, sort of taken out. And now we have this longing and this desire to uh, be restored, to have life restored, to have work and sports restored, to have our routines restored, to have our congregation restored to have our spiritual lives restored. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying, I didn't realize how much music and worship and praise was part of my spiritual life, and I was missing it, and especially being with other people while we were doing that, to hear the other voices and to be restored. God's promise to the people that were actually literally in exile was that He would restore them. And His promise and commitment to restore is current and relevant for us today, as it has always been. Restoration or restore is integral to God's very mission. But the question is, what is involved with God's restoration? What is involved with restore? Does he just, like, zap something? Boom, now, you know, does a hand reach down from the sky and somehow just make something happen? Like, boom, there it is, restored? How does God's restoration actually work? What is the mechanism? And what is contingent on our being restored? We are continuing in the book of Jeremiah this morning, and so I want to invite you to turn to Jeremiah. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And so we're in Jeremiah. The prophet is writing this letter that has been inspired by the Lord, and he's writing it to the people that are in exile in Babylon. And I'm reading from chapter uh, 29, 
verse 10 and 11, and then verse 14. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The Lord says, I make a promise. I have a promise. I will fulfill a promise. That word promise means a strong word. It is, I am fulfilling a strong word. It is when sometimes we say, I give you my word. He's saying, I have made a promise. I give a strong word and I am keeping it. I'm going to fulfill it. And the future, as I was saying at, at the outset, the future that is filled with hope is that future of welfare. That is that future of peace, shalom, and all that that means. And he says, and decidedly not raha, which is evil, not harm. A future of shalom and not harm and evil. But you notice in there that he talks about land and place. Because for the people of God, from the outset, it has land actual physical land and place have always been integral to God's promise and to the people of God. We are human beings. We live on land. We live, inhabit a place. When we use that word grounded, we feel grounded. What we mean is that means stability. And so there is this literal sense that God promises that there will be a place and a grounding, a location. But it's also at the same time metaphoric because he means he will bring you back to this place metaphorically of uh, uh, peace and restoration of relationship, of emotional, mental, spiritual restoration. And implicit with this restore. If you think of the word restore for a moment, implicit within this meaning are three things. First of all, restore means that there was an original something, an original design that we are being restored to. So there's an original design. The other part of God's restoration is that it means that it is good. What we're being restored to is good. And the third implication is that it is not yet realized. You're not yet there, he says to the people that are in exile. I will restore you to my original purpose and my original design for you, which is very good, but it's not realized, it's not actualized. This ain't it. And the people of Israel were living outside of God's will. They were living outside of what He had desired and wished for them, the future that, design that He had planned for them. And they were living in a time of incredible commotion, and this time that they were living in, this was caused by a pattern. 
This quagmire was caused by a particular pattern, and I want to demonstrate this pattern. The people of God, the human beings, the pattern that has, was brought to the place of exile, the pattern is, if we think of, I'll use these two chairs, in the beginning was God, and He created the universe and everything that was in it, and He created human beings in His image. And his design and purpose was for us to live together in peace and shalom with him. You could say in a face-to-face relationship with him. But he also at the same time gave us a choice. He gave us will, the free will to choose whether we wanted to live in shalom with him and each other in this face-to-face relationship or to go our own way. And human beings chose from the outset to go our own way. In the garden, Cain and Abel, the people of Israel. But all the while, when that happened, in each instance, God pursued them. He pursues us in the garden with Cain and Abel. He actually promised to protect Cain to be with him even though he had done such a dastardly deed with the people of Israel. But each time he would pursue and try and establish this, the people would turn and say no. And so he gave laws. He gave laws in order to guide and lead and demonstrate and show so that they would live together. I'll give you laws. And they said no. We prefer a golden calf. So the Lord sent prophets. Again, pursuing us. He sent prophets, as we are talking about this morning, prophets who would teach and call people back into relationship with Him. He even allowed them to be taken. Even when the Babylonians came and were killing and and destroying Jerusalem, the Lord said, I will protect some and I will allow them to be taken away into Babylon. But even in exile in Babylon, the people were still saying, as we read later in Jeremiah 29, they still said no. And they turned. This pattern of human beings turning and God pursuing. And there are ways that we turn today. There are ways that we turn because we have free will. I was talking to my brother who's also a missionary and minister. Occasionally we say, man, wouldn't it be great if the Lord just removed free will? (laughs) You know, that's not the case. But there are ways that we turn today. When we choose our ways, when we choose certain traditions that we have or the way we grew up or the preferences that we want and we allow that to lead and guide us over the Scriptures and the work and the leading of the Holy Spirit, that is a form of turning. When we allow our traditions or the way we grew up or our preferences to lead and guide us. When we know that something, we have a strong conviction that something is right. We understand, we know, we have this conviction. We understand it, and the Holy Spirit has given us this word, and we know it, and yet we choose 
otherwise. We're turning. And we also today, oh, we're as susceptible to false prophets as they were back in the days of Jeremiah. The false prophets today, well, you might be listening to uh, the media outlets, television or, or uh, radio. You turn to the one station that you always listen to, right? That one or that two, and you listen, and it's like being in a vacuum, or you follow certain bloggers, or you follow certain YouTubers. But who are these people that you're listening to? Do you know them? Do you know their backgrounds? Do you know their agenda? Do you know what they're talking about? When we allow a media outlet or a blogger or a YouTuber or anybody else, when we give them permission to have authority in how we live, we are turning from the Lord. And what's interesting to me is this passage that I read, Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for harm. That passage is very familiar. It's quite popular. If people that have gone to church for many years, memorized Scripture, read Scripture, it's very popular. But it's interesting to me how those, that, that, that passage gets used. <laughs> you know, it gets used without really understanding the context that it was given. And this was the context. They're in exile. There's this plan. They've been saying, no, that's the context. But really often when it happens, the, those, those verses are kind of recited, maybe to yourself or maybe you recite them to somebody else. And it can sound in one instance like fatalism. Well, I'm, you know, the Lord says, I have these plans for you. And so the fatalism, it's already set and done. There's no point in doing anything else because here it is. Or it can sound quite trite and cliche. When we recite those verses to someone who's struggling or is having a lot of difficulty, and it's the, we recite that verse, it's like cliche. It's dressed up as spiritualism, and it's, your intention may be to encourage somebody, but it's not really encouraging. Or maybe even it can give this erroneous message that God is a genie, that we rub these verses together and we get what we want. But that's not it, because these verses are actually describing how this section, this section of, of the letter that Jeremiah has sent to the exiles is, des is describing how God's restoration works. What is involved with God's restoration? What is contingent on it? What is dependent on it? What is dependent on this? And I don't know, I can't speak, I don't know you all well enough personally. So I can't speak to you personally about the restoring work that you need to have done or that you desire to have done in your lives. But I do have a strong sense and conviction that we do desire to be restored. That we pray, Lord, restore our congregation. Restore the church. Lord, restore our relationships with friends or family members, with neighbors, with roommates, and more. 
I believe we want, Lord, we want to have the future that you have designed and purposed for us. We want to sit into that. We want to lean into that. We want that to be realized. We want that for us as a congregation. And even more, an increase, Lord. But what is involved with restoration and what is contingent upon that divine restoration? And so we read verse 12, Jeremiah 29, verse 12. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Then, then, then is, is a, a strong marker. It's, it's a coordinator. It's connecting these ideas together. Then, and you notice there is much that the Lord will do, but you can hear in the then part what we will be doing. Then, what human beings will do. And notice, it's then when Babylonians... Uh, era is complete, when this oppression is completed, then, then, this time when people begin to come and call upon the Lord, then, and that time, that then time is marked by the people of God coming to and calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when that time is marked. When they pray, when they ask when they request, when they plead. The Greek equivalent here is prosuchomai. It's prostrating. It's like in this intense, like all out, praying to the Lord, pursuing Him. When the people of God, Jeremiah through the Lord's inspiration says, when you actually call and you actually pursue me and call on me, that is the time when you will begin this to realize this restoration. But notice in verse 13, that last part, look what it says there. If you seek me with all your heart, if, maybe your translation says when, if or when you seek me with all your heart, the Lord promises that He will fulfill what He has uh, purposed. But it is conditional. It is dependent and conditional. It includes our participation. It includes our involvement. And He says, with all your heart. Of course, that's metaphoric language. And what he's meaning, that means completely, fully opening ourselves up. So it's conditional. God's restoration work is conditional on the people of God turning toward Him and also being open to Him. Being open to Him, His work, His redemptive work, His righteousness, His change in our lives. And so I need to demonstrate the last part of this. Restoration begins for us when we 
turn to the Lord who is pursuing us, and we turn toward Him. Come, and you pray, but there's more. People, when they sometimes say that repentance, that fancy church word repentance means turning, but it isn't only turning. So I'm using a couple of vessels here to demonstrate this is who we are. We've turned, but he says, if or when you seek me with all your heart, when you are open to me, says the Lord, when you are allowing and inviting and receptive when you desire to have me in your life. Because right now we can turn and not be open. You can turn and not be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And there's still no restoration happening. We're still not being restored. But when we say, when our will, because the Lord says, I will do this, but not over your will. I will, but not over against your will. And so when we do this, we say, we begin to open our lives up to the Lord and we allow Him to do work in our life with all our hearts. With all our hearts, when or if you seek Him with all your heart. I've just opened a part of it. And there's more. The restoration of the Lord. For Him to restore us begins with us having a healthy relationship with Him. That's the starting point. Because His design and purpose for us, the future for us includes being present with Him. That's part of our future. He's in the future of His purpose and design. So we need to have a healthy, purposeful, restored relationship with Him. That begins the restorative process. And from there we begin to do work in opening up our lives to Him. And to allow Him to work completely and fully in our lives. The Lord wants to restore your life. He wants to restore us. He wants to restore people individually. And He wants to restore Westview. And He wants to restore the church writ large, His bride. In fact, we understand in the New Testament that He describes and He says His design is that each of you is a masterpiece. Each one of you is a masterpiece. And the church is a masterpiece. His bride is this masterpiece. He wants to restore his masterpiece. He wants to restore his masterpiece. So what God is doing is he's doing this restorative artwork. And it begins by being in relationship with him. 
And I want you to notice what this means is that He is present. He has always been present. Sometimes we've, we have this concept, this sort of other concept that when we turn our backs, or maybe God turns His back, but that's not what we read in Scripture. We turn, He pursues. I mean, the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates the ultimate, Him coming and pursuing. So He is present. He is present. Even when in this last year when physical presence has been so disrupted, He is present, He is available, He is accessible to everyone. He's present here, He's present with you that are joining us by live stream. He's present when you go to your place tomorrow, whether you've got a summer job or whether you've got a day job and you're in your home office or you're working downtown, He's present there. He's present, He's available, He's accessible. But do you also notice His posture? Do you notice the posture of the Lord? It is one of invitation. It is not force. He says, then you will come to me. And He's inviting. He isn't forcing, He isn't coercing. And then he's also forgiving. After all the times that we have turned away, when we turn to him and we open ourselves to him, and we are open with him, which means even acknowledging, yes, Lord, I've turned away. When we are turned to Him and open to Him, He forgives us. As we confess, He forgives us. He deletes it. And it is gone. As far as the east is from the west. He double deletes. And it's gone. I want to invite the music team to come up as we conclude here this morning. I think what we're left with is a matter of decision-making. Because that's really what the, Jeremiah, what the Lord was speaking to the people in exile, and He's speaking to us right now as well, is this decision-making. This decision to turn toward Him and also to be open to Him. And you know, that's challenging. You know, if I speak in generalities, because what that means is to be open to Him means that you and we and us are going to change. The Holy Spirit is in the change business. It means it will change and will grow. And it's challenging because if I would speak in generalities, I would say if I was looking kind of at the spectrum of, of demographics, I would say kind of like, you know, when you get to be kind of in your senior years or maybe your boomer, but your senior years, you kind of been there and done that and you're kind of maybe a little less into changing. And it's just a little like, uh, you know, whoa, it seems like. And then, but you have the, the young adults and the teens who are living in like constant change. And for them, like change is just like, yeah, change everything.
And so how do we navigate that? If we come and we turn to the Lord and we're open to Him, it's going to mean some change. It doesn't mean everything gets thrown out every 724. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And it does mean, if this is going to be the restoration that we desire and that we so long for, if this is the restoration, then it also means what I call with time. Spending time with. Spending time with the Lord. And I don't mean you've got to start with like, oh, it's got to be an hour a day, and then after five days, you just can't do it anymore. But I mean, with time, that's, the restoration begins with the relationship that is restored with Him, with time. It could be five minutes, it could be six minutes. It's about consistency, about intentionality, about waking up in the morning, and when your feet hit the floor, you acknowledge, I am going to be with you today, and you are with me today. And just taking at least a couple of minutes, being consistent and acknowledging, holy noticing, and maybe throughout the day, just taking a minute in your day, one minute, two minutes, where you breathe in and you just notice. And it's with time. And that means also with time with other followers of Jesus. Yes, in the community, yes, in the workforce, but also with time with other followers of Jesus in these small groups, these community groups, these life groups, also means in this big gathering, we need to be with each other as well. And allowing the cross of Jesus Christ to shape how we live and our posture. As the Lord is present, our posture is also one where we are present, where we are in relationship, where we are available, and where we are inviting, not arguing, not demanding, not forceful, but present and in relationship, the way you live becomes inviting and even forgiving. These are the best laid plans for us. Oh Lord, restore us. Restore us in this way, I pray.